The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Greetings all. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on today's program. No Follies today. I'm having a little trouble getting people on Mondays. People have jobs or something. Anyway, uh, looking to do it maybe a little bit later in the week. Maybe midweek might be a little bit uh, a little bit better. So we'll figure something out on that front. But don't worry. Got some cool stuff to talk about today on the program. And of course, getting tragic news today that the uh, historic Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is on fire. And Wow, it looks like the damage is significant, potentially devastating. Uh, no word yet on what caused it, but it may be linked to renovation work that was going on inside. But uh, an architectural loss of, of a magnitude that I'm not sure we can comprehend at this point. So we'll find out a little bit more about that in the coming days, obviously. But uh, right now the images we're seeing pretty, pretty bad. So I just wanted to acknowledge that today. Coming up a little bit later on, my friend Nick Manis is going to join us. He, of course, is a reporter for Michigan Advance, michiganadvance.com. And uh, we're talking a little bit about the problems uh, of lead. Not necessarily the way we've been thinking about lately in terms of water and flint, but in old homes, Grand Rapids, finding itself to have a pretty significant problem as a neighborhood is undergoing some transformation there. It's leading to significant amounts of of, uh, lead exposure in kids in particular. We'll talk a bit about that. Also, Nick has written another story taking a look at some lobbying efforts on uh, an industry group that DT Energy is linked to. And we'll find out what it is congressional investigators might be asking about there. So that's all coming up on the show today. Also, some thoughts on Tiger Woods' inspiring victory yesterday at the Masters. Not a huge Tiger Woods fan uh, for a lot of different reasons, but you, you had to be impressed with what he pulled off yesterday. So I've got some thoughts on that. Stay with me for the show. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Hey, thanks for checking out the show today. Uh, as you know, uh, environmental issues are something that we do like to talk about on this program. I think it's important. I think it gets overlooked often in the mainstream media, unless there are, of course, large stories like the Flint water crisis or algal blooms in Lake Erie, things along those lines. But there are everyday problems that numbers of people are dealing with in our state, and not just our state, but all across the country, especially if you have an older housing stock. And that, of course, is the problem of lead exposure. Old paint in these houses is creating a significant problem. My friend Nick Manis works for MichiganAdvance.com. He's written a story taking a look at what's going on in one neighborhood in Grand Rapids where exposure rates seem to be spiking. We'll talk a bit about what's responsible for that. Nick Manis, welcome to the Craig Folly Show. It's always a pleasure. Hey, thanks, Craig. I appreciate having me, having me back on. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I thought this was important. I was reading a story that you uh, put up on the site uh, on Friday afternoon, as a matter of fact, taking a look at not Flint when it comes to lead, but another city that many people maybe uh, don't think of in the same way, and that's Grand Rapids, which really is a city that is growing. Uh, we've seen uh, great strides in Grand Rapids from an economic perspective, but they've got some of the same problems that a lot of these legacy cities do. And by legacy cities, I mean older cities, uh, lead. And and frankly, in a way that people maybe hadn't thought about before. That's correct. Um, so yeah, uh, like you said, it's uh, it's not Flint, and a, and a key difference is is that where where Flint's uh, issues with lead came from uh, came from the water supply, 
And in Grand Rapids, it's more from an aging housing stock, uh, many of which have uh, have lead paint before that was banned in the uh, in the 1970s, and uh, and that's led to at least at one time, and I believe it's still true, Grand Rapids having the uh, the highest number of lead poisoned children in the state. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, and 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 much of this is is because of older neighborhoods that are being redeveloped. Uh, you've got a number of people that are going into to rehab some of these houses. Uh, how significant an issue is it? Is this something that is is hitting different socioeconomic groups than perhaps we think of when we think of Flint? Um, you know, not necessarily. I think um, I think in Grand Rapids, much much of the the lead poisoning issue in Grand Rapids is concentrated in uh, in one particular zip code which is uh, 49507. And if you're familiar with Grand Rapids, that's uh, predominantly the, the southeast side of the city, which historically, or at least over the last uh, 30 or 40 years, has been one of the, uh, the poorest areas of the city. Um, you know, so some of that is changing, as, uh, as you indicated, the, the city is growing. And, uh, and because of that, we've definitely got a, uh, the city of Grand Rapids definitely has uh, something of a housing shortage. And so that, that neighborhood is definitely somewhat in demand, but uh, much of the, the lead poisoning is, uh, is you know, uh, in, in poor neighborhoods that, uh, that are, uh, are undergoing change for sure right now. Well, well, Nick, um, you know, when we think of, of lead paint, I mean, a lot of the problem that we've been dealing with here in the city of Detroit on this issue for years has indeed been around the issue of lead paint and people living in older housing stock that maybe has not been maintained that well. Um, do we get a sense that a lot of this is sort of stuff that is being uncovered as people are indeed renovating or, or, or fixing up some of these places? I think that's that's definitely a part of it. Um, you know, I think uh, I think you know, as, as with any other uh, environmental uh environmental issue it's uh it's an expensive uh issue um i think you know uh you know in, in some of my reporting in the story that uh that you mentioned uh you know it can, it can be tens of thousands of dollars to uh to fully uh abate lead paint in uh in a house and uh you know a lot of these they're uh they're rental properties in many cases that uh that the landlords aren't uh, aren't putting the money into so, so Nick, I mean, what is the city's approach to this at this point in time? I mean, every city in Michigan obviously is sort of, you know, on alert when it comes to this threat. Uh, there are there are lead task forces and and of course regulations about you know getting lead at least notified of the possibility of lead when houses change hands. Is the city thinking about doing something more uh, than they perhaps have been doing in the past when it comes to this? Well, there's definitely you know. Um uh, many levels of government that uh, that are all exploring um, h- how best to uh, to offset some of the uh, the issues with lead, just like just like in Flint. So uh, so in Grand Rapids, you know, there's uh, some coordinated efforts between the, the city of Grand Rapids and Kent County, as well as um, some some efforts at the state level. There's uh, a couple of legislators, state legislators that, uh, that I mentioned in my story that uh, are indeed working on some legislation that would uh, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, at least solve some of this problem. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to take uh, a large amount of money probably from the, the state to, uh, to fully solve this issue. 
What has been the reaction from the state at this point in time? I mean, there's new administration in place. And of course, in the wake of the Flint crisis, uh, the state obviously is paying more attention to this as well. Does it look as if the state is going to be in a position to offer some financial assistance to communities like Grand Rapids and Flint, frankly, uh, to deal with with these lingering problems? So as as part of the the, the governor's uh, proposed budget, and I didn't go into this a whole lot in my story, but um, but as part of the governor's proposed budget, there definitely is uh, some some requests, particularly uh, so, some supplemental budget requests for uh, for more money, and that's more geared a little bit towards uh, towards Flint than it is uh, the land paint issue that's so prevalent in in Grand Rapids and, like you said, Detroit as well. But, uh, you know, I think we'll have to see, you know, as, uh, as budget season goes on and, and it's really just kicking off, we'll have to see how, uh, how the Republicans in control of, uh, of the legislature respond to the, go- the governor's request for more funding for, uh, for lead remediation and lead abatements. Well, you know, obviously a lot of the focus in the past has been on making sure that we do adequate testing of children to make sure that they're not at risk or or have not been exposed to lead. Uh, but we have not focused as much on the enforcement of rental codes uh, and things along those lines. Is that something that is getting a little bit more attention these days that people are actually going to start pushing on the enforcement side of things to make sure landlords have uh, homes that at least, you know, minimize the potential threat for lead? So that that's uh, part of the the legislation that I mentioned earlier. This is uh, being uh, currently drafted by uh, by Representative Rachel Hood, who's a, a Grand Rapids uh, state representative, and has a uh, has a long history in uh, in environmental work. Uh, so she told me she's working on uh, on two separate uh, pieces of legislation that would. Um, that would uh, you know be more on the enforcement side for uh, for landlords, as well as try to uh, try to you know ease and uh, and make testing more uh, more readily available for uh, for uh, house, houses that are in need of it. So uh, we'll have to see how that uh, that legislation comes out. As I said, she's uh, she's still drafting it, and she told me that she is hoping to uh, to introduce it sometime next month. Okay, so that should be interesting to see whether or not it gets any traction uh, in in Lansing. Is there any suggestion that there's opposition to this? I mean, are people looking at this as potentially new regulations that, uh, you know, the government should not be getting involved in? Um, You know, I I haven't uh, I haven't seen that much yet. Um, You know, you know, I don't think many people would uh, would oppose the uh, the idea of uh, trying to to help sick kids. We'll have to see, you know, obviously what kind of uh, what kind of money uh, people are willing to put forward for that. And uh, and then, yeah, as you said, you know, um, the, the, there's certainly some uh, some interest in the uh, in the landlord community around the state that, uh, that I'm sure will have some uh, some input. But we'll have to see how that. Uh, how that plays out. Well, we've been watching something similar here in Detroit with uh, some new rental code enforcement uh, things that have been put in place and landlords have not exactly responded positively to, to that. Uh, not all of them have been opposed, but many have been. It's, it's been interesting to watch. Uh, well, Nick, while I've got you here, I wanted to ask about another story that uh, you posted at michiganadvance.com, taking a look at a, a government group, um, well, a lobbying firm, I, I guess, that sort of represents a number of large utilities, uh, a congressional committee getting ready to sort of look into some of the uh, lobbying activities of this group that represents organizations like DTE. Uh, what yeah. are we finding out there? Uh, so, yeah, last week, the, uh, I believe it's the uh, U.S. House uh, Commerce Commerce and Energy Committee, I believe, 
sure. uh, announced that uh, that they were investigating this uh, this uh, yeah kind of a lobbying industry group for uh, for energy utilities around the country. Uh, one of which is DTE. DTE has uh, has uh, paid uh, for some of their funding for uh, for lobbying efforts uh, for utilities, particularly. Um, the, the, the committee alleges that it was to uh, to, to cut regulations for uh, for utilities. So yeah, the, this committee has announced that uh, the DTE is part of that. They're requesting a uh, whole assortment of uh, of documents that uh, that uh, they're asking DTE and all these other utilities around the country to provide. Interestingly enough, it's the UARG, I believe, is the name of this yeah. group. Uh, and so, uh, but but it seems as if this isn't so much a, about the utilities themselves as it is the people who are on the UARG uh, that were lobbying for them that are now part of the EPA. Um, so, and, and so that seems to be the thing that seems to be problematic here. Correct. So yeah, these uh, the, these two lobbyists from uh, f- former uh, attorneys lobbyists for UARG. Uh, are now officials in uh, in the EPA, which uh, obviously uh, is part of uh, Donald Trump's administration, and uh, President Trump has obviously been a, uh, uh, in favor of, uh, of easing reg- in easing environmental regulations. So, uh, so yeah, the committee uh, now under the control of Democrats is very concerned about uh, about whether these two uh, two EPA officials are still connected to uh, to the, the firm that they used to lobby. Well, and again, it's the Utility Air Regulatory Group, um, and and uh, there is some suggestion that they have been uh, lobbying to potentially loosen some of the clean air regulations in here. Uh, you know, this sort of doesn't mesh necessarily with the message that companies like DTE are putting out there. You're seeing a number of utilities across the country that are promising to uh, increase the use of renewables by certain dates, uh, decrease their reliance on fossil fuels, especially coal. You're seeing disinvestment going around. Uh, what has been the reaction from the utilities themselves as to whether or not they have been, you know, on, on the back end sort of, uh, you know, trying to weaken some of these regulations? You know, I, I, uh, I did reach out as a, in the reporting for that story. I did reach out to, uh, to DTE and, uh, and, you know, they certainly, uh, certainly espouse their, uh, their desire to, uh, to have more, uh, you know, clean, efficient, uh, energy and, uh, and pointed to, uh, to some of their, uh, efforts to to make that happen um you know i think other than that you know they're uh they're saying that they're just going to uh comply with uh with the investigation um you know like you know what's happening behind the scenes i guess i'm not uh, not totally sure and you know obviously their statement was pretty pretty vanilla um mm-hmm. you know yes yeah. we belong to industry groups mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that you know everything they do is something that we care about um this kind of scrutiny, though, is the sort of thing that you know, nobody really wants. <laughs> of course, yeah. What are we expecting from these congressional hearings at this point? You know, I think we'll, uh, we'll have to see. Uh, certainly, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what comes out of the uh, the documents that uh, the DTE is uh, is being asked to provide about their uh, their work with this UARG group. And uh, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't think a time frame for, uh, for when those documents can be expected is... Uh, is totally clear at this point, but uh, but I'm sure that uh, myself and several other reporters will be uh, will be very interested to see what's uh, what's in those documents. 
Well, Nick, we do appreciate the fact that uh, Michigan Advance uh, has somebody that is caring and looking at uh, environmental news, which is a big deal. Uh, We appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate it. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. And welcome back to the show. Glad to have you with me on this Monday. And I'll tell you what, uh, yesterday, woke up, um, typical Sunday, just looked out the window. It was raining, you know, kind of crummy outside. So I was like, all right, I'll make a pot of coffee, go downstairs, do my usual Sunday thing, which is, of course, watching the morning news shows, whether it be Flashpoint or Michigan Matters or uh, any of the other programs that are on, off the record, all that kind of stuff, meet the press, face the nation. I like doing that on a Sunday, typically. And then, of course, you usually settle in on a Sunday afternoon for a nap with either baseball or golf. Well, yesterday, of course, was Masters Sunday. And if you know me, you know that I like to play golf. It doesn't mean I'm good at it necessarily, but I enjoy to play uh, the game. And I also like to watch it, especially the, the major tournaments. And the Masters is always kind of a special one to watch because you see the flowers actually in bloom down in Augusta. And we know we're still several weeks away here, but we're going to get there. It's just a, a sign that spring is on the way. But there was some added flavor yesterday. I woke up and, of course, I started watching my news shows and realized that there was the potential for bad weather in Augusta, and I had forgotten that they had moved the start time to 9 o'clock. So yesterday, I flipped over and started watching, and, and the, the leaders were about halfway through their round at that point. So I, I breathed a bit of a sigh of relief, knowing that I'd get to watch the last nine holes of the tournament. But by about the 12th, 13th hole, it became apparent that Tiger Woods was not just in contention, but he was starting to take control of the tournament. And before anybody says, what's the big deal of Tiger Woods winning a golf tournament? Well, it is important to recognize that he is 40-something years old at this point in time. Winning majors in your 40s does not happen very often, especially coming back from some of the injuries that he has had to deal with, back surgeries, knee problems, all sorts of stuff, not to mention the personal saga that he has dealt with. Uh, A lot of his problems were self-inflicted. I will be the first to admit that. And many people, including myself, thought perhaps his days of winning majors were behind him. But when you started watching that tournament and you saw the look on his face throughout, and while everybody else was starting to make mistakes and show cracks in their mental game, he looked focused. He looked like he was in control and he knew everybody else around him was going to crumble and he was just going to coast along and do what he does. And he did made a couple of fantastic shots to seal the deal to put a lot of seeds of doubt in anybody's mind that thought they might be able to catch him or keep up with him. It was impressive to watch. And 43 years old and going as long as he did between winning majors over a decade was really, really inspiring to watch. Like I said, regardless of how you feel about Tiger Woods, and I know a lot of you have problems with him based on some of his past behavior, and and I get that. He made some serious mistakes. But to watch him finish that tournament yesterday and to see the reaction from him when he did it, you could tell that this wasn't like when he was younger winning a major where it was just something he was expected to do and he just thought he was the best. There was more going on here for him. This was a a battle of redemption and he seemed to have come full circle. And whether he never wins again or not, and it could be very much like Jack Nicklaus winning that major when he won the Masters in his 40s. This could be the last one that Tiger ever does. 15 majors, though, is nothing to sneeze at, especially going as long as he did between. But watching him do that yesterday just made me realize that, you know, people can go through just about anything. 
and come out on the other side. But it was truly remarkable to watch this and to see his reaction towards the end. And, and uh, you know, it doesn't happen very often that a sporting event will give you that sort of that sort of a feeling as you watched it yesterday. And that was, it was great because that started the day yesterday. So I was in a good mood. Then we fired up the barbecue. We fired up the fire pit in the back. We had the Tiger game on in the afternoon. Yeah, they lost, but it's a long season. What are you going to do? Not a big deal. Knew the Pistons were going to get blown out yesterday, and that's what I expected, and that's exactly what happened. Wasn't too worried about that either. Uh, but also, we had the Game of Thrones return last night. So yesterday turned out to be a pretty good day, and, and you know, the weather today is sunny outside, it's kind of nice out, and you just realize that maybe, just maybe, we're going to get through a lot of the garbage that we've been dealing with. I certainly hope so. I just wanted to say I'm in a pretty good mood on a Monday, despite the horrible news coming out of Paris today with the Notre Dame Cathedral and, and the fire that's going on there. And again, we'll keep an eye on that and find out more about it, but um, either way, not a bad, not a bad way to start the week yesterday. All right, this has been the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. We'll have a lot of stuff coming up this week. Don't forget, you can always get in touch with me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm Twitter and, and Facebook mostly, but you can find me also on Snapchat as well. And don't forget, you can always send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Send me your suggestions, ideas, comments, feedback, whatever you want to do. If there's something you want to talk about, let me know, and I'll see if I can't get to it. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Hope you're enjoying the program so far, and uh, we've got more episodes to come. So, see you tomorrow. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D. Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Mel Town from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats the Detroit Public Theater. The Detroit Shakespeare in Detroit. If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.